Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Gary Ol with the Get Some Podcast. I'm, uh, as all, I, I, I feel like I say this every week, but I am excited about my guests. Like I'm excited about all my guests because they're they're all friends of mine. This week is Jerry Ferreira. I wanted to keep the theme going because last week I had I had Joseph Sakura, aka Tommy from Power, and then this week, what a lot of people don't know is this was supposed to be my first week in studio. I, I got a studio in LA, they built it out, it's gonna be really dope. I can't wait to get in there, but there's a couple people that that popped up, popped positive with the, um, with the coronavirus that work in the studio. So by CDC guidelines and everything else, they, we can't be in there for another um, week or two. So I'm, I'm on remote again. I'm still at the uh, still at the house, and I, I gotta say, Jerry Ferreira came through in the clutch for me this week because I had my plane ticket. I'm ready to fly into LA. I'm ready to get get this going in studio. And I got the phone call from the engineers and the powers to be, and they said, "Yo, we you can't come in studio. We gotta, we, you know, they gotta shut down. They gotta clean. They gotta quarantine just to be safe." And now I'm I'm scrambling. I'm like, "Oh, well, who who can I get?" that's not in LA that I can uh, get on at the last second. And I texted Jerry and, oh, God bless Jerry. He's like, yeah, man, I'd love to do it. Here's the thing about me and Jerry. We're both such huge sports fans. I'm diehard Cincinnati, everything Reds, Bengals, Bearcats, Xavier, if there's a boxer. And Jerry is the exact same way when it comes to the New York teams. He is Giants, he's Knicks, he's all that. So I'm excited. Now, last week... Uh, I was supposed to be in Phoenix, Arizona. At the last second, that got canceled because there was a huge spike in the coronavirus. And for me, I am, as a comedian, I'm at, I'm at this weird crossroads because every now and then I hear about a comedian catching it. And then, I, one, I don't want to bring it home to my family. Now, I got, I got kids that are teenagers. Uh, wife's healthy. I'm pretty healthy. I'm doing everything I can to uh, stay healthy, taking vitamin D and electrolytes in my water and just anybody that I know that's healthier than me, I call, like, how can I just keep my immune system up? And when I fly, I'm being careful. I got masks, gloves. <laughs> it's just, I'm doing what I can, but it's like, it's just weird um, battle within myself because I'm like, on one hand, I want to be on the road telling jokes, but I want to be safe. And I just know that I love being a stand-up and being, I've been to West Palm Beach and I've been to Jackson, Mississippi over the last month. So I've been, I've left home twice and it's like, a, I just get a new energy about myself and it's almost like I'm getting a taste of back to normal. So as of now, I'm going to Arlington, Texas and I hear people talking, there's a spike there, there's a spike. And I go, I'm not, I'm not in the streets when I go to these cities. I'm literally from the airplane to my hotel, uh, to the comedy club. And nobody comes in the green room when I'm there. It's just me and my opener, and that's it. I tell the staff, I'll eat before I get there. You can have everything I have in my rider in the green room. I just get on stage and tell my jokes, and then I go back to the green room. So I'm as safe as I can be. And with there's the thing about stand-ups, if you really think about it. I'm okay with all the bars and nightclubs staying closed for selfish reasons because... People want to go out, and if you, all the bars and nightclubs are closed, but the county clubs are open, that's all they got to do. <laughs> so, 
So I'm kind of selfish when it comes to that. I'm like, yeah, keep them closed. <laughs> then come see me. Uh, so as of now, I'm in Arlington, Texas this weekend at the Improv. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping it stays open because I, I am excited. D- uh, Dallas is a great city with great food. Uh, I got to get to go if I go there this week. So I'm excited. Hopefully it, it, it stays open. And then um, last week we had Joseph Sakura on, a.k.a. Time from Power. And man, what a good interview that was. And then uh, afterwards, I posted this picture of me and him, and uh, it was like a fake poster. It said Twins. And then I had Gary Oldman, Joseph Sakura, and and I had Joseph standing like a classic Tommy pose, and I had this crazy pose. 50 Cent saw it and then reposted it, and then he said, Joseph, I got this movie idea and I got the funding. And, and I was like, wait a minute, is this serious? And then Joseph says, I'm in, let me know when to start. And then I'm chiming in. They've been waiting for us to be on screen together. So I don't know if 50 was just BSing or he was serious, but I tagged Will Packer. I tagged Deion Taylor. I tagged every behind-the-scenes guy I know. It was like, yo, maybe we should do it. I know, I'm, I'm trying to speak it into existence. I remember on the I remember on the BET Awards a few years ago, they had uh, Martin with Shanene and Jamie Foxx was Wanda. And then there was like this buzz that they was going to try to work together and do a movie as Shanene and Wanda. And it, it, it didn't happen, but I do know that Martin and Jamie were, were down for it. Uh, so, I don't know. Stranger things have happened in this entertainment business. I hope everybody had a good July 4th. July 4th was weird this year. There was backlash uh, for it. I, I didn't know the full history of July 4th and what it meant. You know what? I don't even know why I start talking about that. Because I don't know enough about it. It's like me and politics. I don't know enough about politics to talk politics. And that's why my podcast, we rarely talk about politics. Because I'm not that bright. Same with July 4th. I'm just going off social media and the posts and, and what July 4th means to, to some people. I was like, oh, I didn't know there was a, a dark history behind it. I don't think this country's ever gone through such a shift in my life. As far as like how we're gonna celebrate holidays, what real, ho- I think we're definitely gonna have some new holidays come out of this. Uh, and I think some of the old holidays are gonna have different meanings when this is all over. I'm, and I don't just mean July 4th, I mean a lot. We'll see what's gonna happen. Uh, I'm just glad I got this podcast because I can talk to my friends. And it, here's the thing it, when I do my podcast, it's almost therapeutic for me because I get to talk to my friends in the entertainment business. Uh, and sporting world that are going through it. It's just comforting to know that other people are also like out of whack a little bit with everything that's going on and nobody has the answer. And everybody's getting through it in their own way. It's almost like when I was in boot camp. I remember my first day in boot camp, I was just like, oh shit, when is this gonna end? I'm, I'm in this thing for the next eight weeks. And I just remember my first night, I'm just sitting there like kind of in a daze, like, oh, I don't know if I can get through this. And then I remember I was getting ready for bed the first night, and one guy comes up to me and just goes, there's some crazy shit, isn't it? And that's all I needed to hear. And I was like, yeah, man, it is. And then we talked for a split second. And just the fact that this one kid came up to me and was just like, there's some crazy shit, isn't it? And looked at me like, and I go, oh, my God, I'm not the only one feeling this way. It just, I, the rest of boot camp was a breeze, because that one kid made a comment to me on the first night. I'm 17, he was probably 18. 
And it was just like, okay, I'm not the only one thinking, oh, I don't know if I can get through this. So that's why I'm so glad we got the podcast. I'm glad people are listening. And hopefully it's an escape from all the chaos. Because I, I tell you what I love about having a podcast. I love it when I hear truckers sending me DMs and uh, uh, Facebook messages just saying they listen to it while they're on the road. Because they all, truckers always say this, man, I wish it was longer. I had like an 18-hour drive. <laughs> you, get, you took an hour and a half off. And, I, and I, he forgot about uh, how long the drive was. I love hearing stories like that with the podcast. And I love the fact that, you know, you might get a movie out of it with 50 Cent. I'm crossing my fingers. So with that, in honor of having Jerry Ferrer on the podcast this week and Joseph last week, a.k.a. two major players in the TV show Power, I always got my one-verse rap. I always talk about my daughter, how I'm trying to connect with her. So this week, I'm going to take it back a little bit, and I'm going to do a 50 Cent uh, rap lyric breakdown. Now, this is from my day. So this is, uh, this is the candy shop by 50 Cent. I'm going to break down these lyrics. First, I'm just going to read them. Uh, how brilliant was this? Got the magic stick. I'm the love doctor. Have your friends teasing you about how I'll how sprung I got you. When you show me you could work it, baby, no problem. Get on top, then get the bounce around like a low rider. I'm a seasoned vet when it come to this shit. After you work up a sweat, you could play with the stick. I'm trying to explain, baby, the best way I can. I melt in your mouth, girl, not in your hand. Ha ha. I'll take you to the candy shop. I let you lick the lollipop. <laughs> Go ahead, girl. Don't you stop. Keep going till you hit the spot. Whoa. I just want to go hop on my wife right now after hearing that. So this is, this is what I'm talking about. The new lyrics, I'm breaking them down. And half the time, I didn't know what a mop was. I didn't know what some of this stuff was. I didn't know what a, a mump in your pocket was. Look how simple this is. I got the magic stick. I'm the love doctor. That means... Yeah, my penis is good. Yeah, and people have told me <laughs> they feel better when I'm having sex with them, love doctor. Have your friends teasing you about how sprung I got you. That means after we had sex, you went and told your friends, and now they're laughing because like, girl, you sprung. You like him. When you show me you could work it, baby, no problem. Get on top, then get to bounce around like a low rider. That means she's on top. She's riding. I shouldn't have did that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a seasoned vet when it comes to this shit, which means I've had a lot of sex with a lot of girls. After you work up a sweat, you can play with the stick. That means it's hot and heavy and we're going at it. And I don't even know I did that with my hand. I got to stop. I got to stop being so animated when I discuss these rap lyrics. I melt in your mouth, girl, not in your hand. That means when I finish, I'd rather... I almost put my finger in my mouth. I'd rather do it in your mouth than, than the hand, the hand. <laughs> I'll take you to the candy shop. i let you lick the lollipop. That means, you know, girls, if you lick a lollipop, you probably like licking a penis. Go ahead, girl, don't you stop. Keep going till you hit the spot. Don't stop till I finish, basically. Uh, and then he's going to take you to the candy and eat. I love how 50 ends it with a, whoa, that's his way of climaxing. It was, it was so easy. Anybody, anybody, 
Anybody can figure those lyrics out. They were so easy. Shouts out to 50 Cent with the easy to read lyrics. This is way easier than NBA Young Boy. I'll tell you that. God, 50, that's why 50 is so good. Made it real easy to read. Yeah, that was Candy Shop by 50 Cent. Easy read lyrics in honor of Justice Sakura and Jerry Ferreira, AKA Power. Before Jerry comes on, uh, I think I only got one guy left from Think Like a Man is Romney. So I've had Kevin Hart, I've had Terrence J, I had Michael Ealy, obviously myself. Now I got Jerry and I got Romney. And, Ro and Romney's confirmed in a couple weeks. I don't want you to think I'm Romney's last. We had the discussion. I wanted to have Ron. He's got a he's got a great movie coming out called Tijuana Jackson. I think it drops July 31st. And I told Romney I didn't want to come on to the week before the movie because I want to be able to I want to be able to promote his movie and discuss it and also talk about everything else. So uh, Romney be the last one, but Jerry second to last. So <laughs> there was I just want to say this: there was in no particular order I chose the cast to think like a man to come on the podcast. But I did I did know when I when I found out I'm coming back and I'm on remote. I wanted to grab those, all those guys within the first couple months just because, uh, I don't know, they're my friends and everybody's killing it in their careers. So I'm about to bring up Jerry on the Get Some Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? My guest this week. Uh, now, we met nine years ago on the set of Think Like a Man. I think most people know my guest as Turtle from Entourage, the TV show slash movie. More recently, he was killed by... Uh, my, my guest last week, Joseph Sakura, and the show Power. Uh, my guest this week is Jerry Ferreira. What's up, Jerry? <laughs> so Man, funny. Gary, I can't believe I got to follow Joe now. His character killed me, and now I got to follow him on your podcast. This is not cool. You could have let me go first, Gary. Hey, hey, that's how we do it around here. Hey, uh, before, <laughs> before we get into that, let me ask you, do you feel any guilt? And I feel like Ronda Rousey was never the same after she fought you. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're saying that I, uh, no first of all I feel no guilt whatsoever because when she put me in that arm bar even as a you know like a fake fight scene and I asked her I'm like I just want to feel like a tiny bit of it even just in the resting position with no pressure the arm bar is an awful feeling so uh, I'm just happy that was all fake life because my elbow still like even time I see an armbar, my elbow still like shakes a little bit. You getting in the ring with Ronda Rousey. Uh, I think when people are like watching sports, whether it be boxing or UFC, to watch it on TV, you're like, oh, that guy sucks. Or, God, that guy's weak. Until you get in the octagon of the ring and you realize all that goes into that, it hits you like a ton of bricks. <laughs> so... Quick story on that. When we were rehearsing, you know, in that scene, she also, like, flips me over her shoulder. And, you know, me, Chom, like, I, I want to do all my stunts, which is the dumbest thing ever in the world. So we're rehearsing it, and she's, like, lightly throwing me over. But she's like, you know, on the day, so just so you know, I've broken guys' ribs before when I've done this. Like, guys a lot bigger than you, which is not saying a whole lot because I'm not very big. But uh, I just remember even doing it in rehearsal, and I'm like, you know what? This is why stunt doubles get paid well and like do their job. Like, I don't know how to take this fall. I don't want broken ribs and broken ribs before. So I kindly said, you know what, uh, Mr. Mr. Stunt Double, could you please take this bump for me? Cause I am not trying to break ribs. And then I watched <laughs> from afar and I'm like, yeah, that would've been terrible if I had to do that all day. Yeah, I think the older we get in this business, the, uh, the I think everyone wants to be um, an action star. That's a guy thing, an ego thing. 
But then once you hit like late 30s, early 40s, then you're starting to be like, nah, I'm, I'm good. I just want to act. <laughs> you know, give me a nice scene, Gary, with me and you are just like talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a nice like four page, a lot of jokes, me and you just walking and talking. Like I can handle that. I don't want you to feel any kind of way because here's the thing. Uh, you came through with a clutch for me this week because it's supposed to be my first week in studio and somebody within the studio came down with the coronavirus, so they shut the studio down. The powers would be like, we gotta, we gotta find a guest on like short notice. And I went, I said, oh, I'll call Jerry. And it's so funny how it came about, because I had Tommy on last week, Joseph from Power, and the week before I had Terrence J. And it's like <laughs> full circle, like, oh, I'll get Jerry. I don't want you, I don't want you to think anything, because I haven't had Romney on yet either. <laughs> from the cast listen, to take back can, can I can I zoom in for that one just to listen live because you know a couple things to unpack first and foremost I already hear people saying now I saved your show because I came through in the clutch I already <laughs> see the comments Jerry Ferrara saved Gary Owen's show I already I already see that uh, but Romney, who is a dear, dear friend of ours from the Think Like a Man family, I will I would listen to Romney just read the phone book so I would like to plug in live for the Romney episode because. Uh, that's my guy right there, Romney Malco. I, I just worked with him on his show, uh, A Million Things, up in Canada, and he was just in, in rare Romney fashion. I, I tell everybody, if they redo the Dos Equis guy, uh, the most interesting man in the world, uh, if they turn that guy black, it's got to be Romney. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when we were shooting Thing Like a Man too. that's where it really came out, because we were in all the casinos in Vegas, and like just be random people come up to Romney, and Romney would like know them. I'm like, oh, you know that 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 guy? He's like, oh yeah, we were in the military. I'm like, you were in the military? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> and then there's like another, like, yeah, yeah, we were like diving off the coast of whatever. I'm like, oh, you you were a diver? Like he's just done it. He's just lived such a fulfilled life. That's one guy, like if I had a big decision to make and I needed to get some real advice from someone uh, outside of my family, I think Romney would be one of those calls I would make. Listen, I called Romney as soon as we went on lockdown with this coronavirus, and I called him, I said, what should I be eating? What should I be taking? <laughs> Jerry, I'm not lying. He goes, he goes, give me an hour, I'll call you back. <laughs> and, and I'm he sure sent, he gave you a whole program, right? Oh, he sent me a text and like broke everything down of what I should be taking and why. It, well, this is what it does to my body. Da -da -da -da. I was just like, and I just went to Whole Foods with my wife, and we just, there was no questions asked. I go, just get it. I don't know what this is. Like, somebody in Whole Foods went to the back to find it. It wasn't on the shelf. One of the things he gave me, he goes, And I'm you know, sure Romney, he checked out, it was like $4,000 at Whole Foods. Yeah, and Rob, Romney was like, I, he was like, now this isn't going to be on the shelf, but they have it. They have it. I'm like, how do you know this? I mean, he, he's got off-the-shelf Whole Foods stuff. I mean, do we have time for a 45-second Romney story, which is one of my favorites? Yeah. And this will tee him up perfect for when he's on your show. So when we were shooting Think Like a Man too, we were all living in Vegas casinos. And, you know, that's it sounds fun in theory, and it's fun for a little while. But by, like, week four, it's like, man, smoky casino. It's like living on a spaceship. Romney was all about still being, like, extremely healthy through the process. And... You know, I was like having skin problems while I was there and like we just all feel right. He was saying that it's it's the water in the casino showers and stuff like that. Like you guys like you need to change the shower heads in your hotel bathroom. I'm like, first of all, I've never thought to change a shower in my own house, let alone a hotel bathroom. 
So as a gift to the cast, Romney bought these like industrial strength filtered shower heads. And he went one by one. And think like a man's a large cast. He went like one by one and changed everyone's shower head in their hotel yeah. room. He saw like an apple in my hotel room. He's like, you know what? When you rinse off your apple, use the filtered shower. I'm like washing apples in my shower. <laughs> it, it, the guy is unbelievable. He's, he's the greatest. He's just the best. Romney is the best. This is a major Romney infomercial right now. Honestly, that's why I wanted him to come on last because every cast member, we've spent at least five to 10 minutes talking about Romney. Yes. And so I, I, I definitely, when, I, when my podcast came back, right off the bat, I said, I want to get all the guys on within the first couple months. But Romney was always going to be last. And it just, it's timing out perfect because he's got his movie coming out, Tijuana Jackson, at the end of the month. And so I'm going to have him on right before it drops so we can pump the movie and that. But that, that, that's going to be my longest podcast. That might go four or five hours. And I'm going to go on record and say you, you're going to get big numbers on that one. Uh, that's like a must listen. The minute that episode drops, I'm telling you, that's a must, must. They're all must listens, but the Romney Malco episode, listen to that yeah. one right away. Now, how did you, how did you go about uh, getting the part and think like a man? Was it an offer? Did you have to audition? So that was coming right off like entourage was literally like ending in a week and obviously everyone's thinking you know what's next what's next at that point in time too i would get movie offers but usually it's movies that you know were lacking in, in certain areas or whatever they weren't real like they were kind of gonna happen but they still needed financing stuff like that you know so then i get this offer and i remember my agent said you got an offer in a movie so my mind immediately goes to like you know i'll read it i was i was unenthusiastic in the beginning because that's just how it was going for me and then i read the script and like halfway through i'm like wow this is really good i got an offer on this are you sure i don't have to audition because for the good stuff you know i gotta go fight for it like like mm -hmm. pretty much most people and um and like, no, no, it's an offer. I immediately was like, I'm down. I knew like it was from like the Steve Harvey book. And obviously I knew about Will Packer and Tim's story to that point. And uh, Kevin was already attached to it. So reading it, knowing that and knowing Kevin, Kevin Hart's work already. So reading the script and knowing and hearing Kevin's voice in my head while reading it, it just was instantly even funnier. And uh, yeah, but then when I heard the rest of the cast start coming in, like, you know, Michael Ealy, Taraji, I'm like, wow, this is like some great actors. And then I heard Gabrielle Union, and then I'm like, wait, which character is she playing? And it says she's playing Kristen, your character's like girlfriend who wants the ring. I'm like, oh, I'm out. You know what? I'm out. I'm not doing it. <laughs> and everyone's like, what do you mean you're not doing it? I'm like, because there's no way anyone is going to watch this movie and think that I was able to like get this girl, woman, who she wants to marry like i just thought like it's gonna i am gonna get killed i was obviously freaking out for no reason but i was calmed down and obviously i did the movie but yeah always in the back of my head i'm like man how am i gonna make people believe that i was able to get her that's a stretch but uh, it worked it worked yeah you gotta put that uh that diamond girl charm on them <laughs> <laughs> that was that that's my favorite story from you in between takes on set is when you said where you grew up in New York. Uh, what, what part of New York you grew up in? Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. And you said all the guys would be riding around and, and 
What was it, an IROC Z? There's IROCs, yeah, it's like, and you know, tough dudes. Like these were not <laughs> like, you know, these guys were like rough guys and they would get in their car, but like, you know, meticulously put together hair, comb, everything. But you know, like I said, rough dudes, like not, not afraid of many things, but just like they turn the radio on and it just, <laughs> and they start driving and be like, diamond girl, yes. Yes, Yo, like all this my diamond girl. <laughs> The Freestyle way, music, big, the big way, deal in Brooklyn in the 90s. The way you just acted it out, though, when we were on set, I was like, I, was, I, I remember the song, and it was like out of a movie. Like, I can see that scene in a movie. Like, this is, this is the, the, the early 90s. And Gab was on set that day. To this day, if Gabrielle is, if Gab is anywhere where that song comes on, she takes a video and sends it to me. No matter where, she could be anywhere in the world. And she travels a lot. If that song yeah. comes on, I get some kind of Instagram DM or a text and it's just her singing Diamond Girl to this day. Diamond Girl. Yes. But it's it's, it's yes. like, it's one of those songs that um, you don't want nobody to know you know, but you sing and you don't turn off when it's on the radio when you're by yourself. Man, when that comes, if that comes on, like when you're getting out the shower, getting dressed, like, yeah, the world is yours. Do whatever you want. Here's the thing about your career was crazy. So you go from Entourage, which was how many seasons? Eight. Eight seasons. So clearly, like, you build solid relationships with that cast. You can't, you yes. cannot be around people that long and not build a solid relationship. And then you go into Think Like a Man, where everyone I've talked to has said, nobody's ever worked on a film where we all like just, you know, we became like an extended family to each other. And then when I was talking to Ilya about it, I said, but what I, what I didn't realize till later on, we basically spent four summers together between 2011, we shot it. 2012, we did press. 2013, we did the second one. Then 2014, we did press again. So it really was like four summers of us just hanging out. Yeah, and look, a lot of the time, you know, in, in my experiences, there's always that in-the-moment talk of, you know, man, when this movie wraps, we're all going to stay in touch and we're going to get together and we're going to... And, and it always, it, it means well. I don't think any of that's ever really phony. I think in the moment, it's, it's meant. But, you know, life comes along and gets it a little bit in the way and like time goes by. It doesn't mean you're not friendly with those people, but it just happens. But with the Think Like a Man cast, everyone is still very much in touch. Like anytime anyone is ever, whether it's like, you know, help me promote this or help me with like, it's just like, it's like instant, like you would for family. Like it's done, consider it done. You don't need to ask twice. Just like you asked me to come on the pod. You were on my podcast four years ago. It's like, it's done. Every time I'm in LA, I always make it a point to see someone. You know, me and Lala worked together on Power. So, you know, we kind of kept that going. And yeah, it really was a family. That's been the biggest blessing of my entire career, besides just the fact that I was able to work, which still is shocking to me, is... I have an entourage family, and then I have a think like a man family, and then I have a power family. And yeah, I don't know many people who have that story three times where I, you know, I'm still in touch with pretty much almost everyone from from both all three projects. Now, did you get? Did you just get offered the part in Power also? Or did you have to audition for that one? Power was. Uh, it was initially an offer for a different role back in season one. Um, and I met with Courtney Kemp, the show creator and producer and writer. You know, I had read the, the Power pilot and I was just, I, after reading, I'm like, man, this, this show is going to be, this show is going to be it. So we met 
And then there was a smaller part in the pilot that she offered me. And I think at the time, unfortunately, I think that's not unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, we were still shooting the Entourage movie. So just the dates conflicted, which is something that gets me so upset because there's so many months in the year where I am not working. So they get offered like two good jobs that shoot at the same time. It's like, I, now I have to choose. If we could just spread things out, that would be fine. So it didn't work out, but Courtney said to me, you know, well, I think that you're a really talented actor. I know there's more to what you could do than like just entourage and stuff like that. And I wanna, I wanna like change some perception of you. I'm gonna write something for you and I'm gonna come back for you and I hope you say yes. And I said, sure, I've heard that lots and lots of times in my career, but I have, thank you, be great. And sure enough, a year later, she calls and says, hey, I wrote this role for this criminal uh, defense attorney who has his own shady life. And she told me who it was based on, it was based on some, some real stuff that happened that we were both fans of in like the kind of organized crime world I was in. But again, at the time, you know, it's a small part. It's like two scenes in one episode and then you come back later, but she said, it's going somewhere. I have like this whole five year plan for the character. I said, mm. okay, sure. I, I guess I believe you. And she did. She told me things she was going to do almost up until the character of Proctor's death. I don't think she fully knew how that was going to happen. But all the stuff with like the wife and his daughter and Ghost going to jail. Like she told me that stuff like in season two or three. Like she just knew. And mm. I, I say to this day, she's maybe the only person, at least for me, who said I'm going to write a role for you and actually did. It's funny you say that because you're not the only person that goes through that. Jerry was the whole, you're not working for six months and then you get two, three offers at the same time. And you're just like, what, why did this happen? What is going <laughs> I t I, The biggest dilemma I've had, and it's happened to me twice, is I got offered a movie role or shoot a pilot. And so mm. the movie role, you know people are gonna see it, but the pilot, you're like, oh, I don't wanna pass up on if this show ends up being a hit. Right. I'm, now I'm not on it. Both times I picked a pilot and neither pilot got picked up. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, well, so frustrating. It's so frustrating. Yeah, Will Packer came and he offered me a part in Little. And I was like, yeah. And then he literally sent me the emoji with the hand on the face. He goes, you're not going <laughs> to believe this. <laughs> he goes, we can't move the schedule around. And so uh. you, you got to pick. And I went, uh, just think, keep me in mind for the next one. <laughs> yeah, but it's the worst. Do you, do you like when you're making those decisions? Do you feel confident that you're making the right one? Or because for me, in the few times that's happened, I'm always just like, I'm gonna make the wrong decision. That's painfully obvious. Uh, and then I'm gonna wow. be sitting around for four months without a job, saying, Oh, why couldn't I have just done that here? It just it doesn't work that way. They always say, especially with acting, like you want to book a job, to book a vacation. Because you'll always get offered a job like right when you least expect it and mm -hmm. are kind of least ready for it. That's usually when it comes around. I don't overthink it. I, my, my thing is I'm a stand-up at the core. So I'm, I'm always looking at it like, how will this, will this sell more tickets as a stand-up? Will more people right. see me? The two movies I passed on, one was little, I, I can't remember the other one. That was probably six years ago. But um, I don't think either of them would have like, translate into, oh my God, that guy, that's his movie. <laughs> and we gotta go, it wasn't like a Tiffany Haddish and Girlfriends type thing. Right, you, you take know? the bigger swing with the pilot because if that goes, you know, you could be on the air for three, four, five years. Like, the, it's hard to get a show on the air, but when you do, it, 
you know, and I guess that's partly why, too, I, I just favor television in general. First of all, I think there's great stuff on television right now. Obviously, there's great movies out there, but I think stuff on TV is great right now. And then I, I like the actual sense of, like, playing a character for three, four, five years and taking this whole journey and telling a story a little slower. I think when I met you, uh, I think I didn't know you had lost all the weight. It's coming back, though, Gary. It's coming and, back. <laughs> now, that was, a lot of that was baby weight, too. I didn't realize how young you were when you got to part. How old were you when you got to part of Turtle? Oh, God, 23? God. 23, that had, yeah. That had to be an audition, right? Oh, that was probably like 70 auditions. Um, they were casting a pretty wide net. But then at some point it became like clear like that Doug Allen, the show creator, wanted like New York guys. Because there was always like, because it's Wahlberg and his friends should have beat Boston or whatever. You know, I read for Doug a bunch of times and then it all leads to like the final test, which is the network test. That process in itself in, in one day is enough to give even the most calm people anxiety. But yeah, that was several. That was months of an audition process. You get the part in Turtle, and clearly that's life-changing. Did you have a feeling, like I think when we shot Think Like a Man, we had a feeling this is gonna be a pretty good movie. I didn't think we didn't know how good, I mean, how many numbers it would do, but we thought this is gonna be a good movie. When you're shooting Entourage, you, you get done with the pilot. Did you think, oh man, this is a game changer? Because it really was a game changer as far as like programming on HBO and everything. It was, Gary, but you gotta understand, right? Like, again, I'm 23, I've been out in LA three years and I've done some guest starring stuff here and there, a couple of indies, but for the most part, I was a full-time waiter, much like a lot of actors out there. I more was, was just terrified it wasn't gonna get picked up. Cause you go shoot the pilot, and then you got like three months of waiting time where they're trying to figure out they want to pick it up. So that was the longest three months of my life, I think. It's the difference of, wow, if the show gets picked up, I have like a real acting job on HBO that I'll get paid real money and that's it. And if it doesn't, you're right back into the restaurant cycle. Like that's what you're, you're waiting for your fate yeah. to be decided. So that, that three months was long. And then when it got picked up, you breathe a sigh of relief. But for me, it wasn't until about season three where I really felt like, okay, this show's good, people are watching it, and I have job security. First two seasons, I was a nervous wreck, just thinking like, someone's gonna take this away from me. This is too good to be true. And you guys had the best guest stars. Entourage had the best guest stars. <laughs> yeah, which was not easy in the beginning because a lot of it in the early years was people like, wait, what's the show? And they thought we were trying to make fun, like all the cameos in the beginning, I thought people thought we were making fun of them. But it, that was always never the intention. It was come on, help legitimize this fake Hollywood world we created. If you want to poke fun at yourself, great. If you don't, that's cool too. Like you're in on the joke. This is not like a, we're not, it's not like a shit fest where we're gonna just try and come in and clown you. As that gained a little momentum that it was like a good experience and the show got a little more notoriety, then, I mean, it was left and right. I mean, Doug Allen had like a list of people like every year agents calling like, this guy, this girl wants to be on the show. And, and it, it was incredible. Like having a call sheet one day to be like, okay, in the morning we have a cameo with Bob Saget. And in the afternoon there's a cameo with Sidney Pollack. And then yeah. uh, the evening time, <laughs> Kanye's coming in to do the, 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 the can episode. It's like, uh, that's all in one yeah. day? It was incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like my podcast. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just try to, try exactly. to get people to legitimize it, and then everybody's going to want to be on it. 
Exactly, man. This is it. This could be the episode that does that. I tell you, you talk about anxiety. That's the, that was my my biggest anxiety about because um, I, I had my podcast for a while, but I was just doing it by myself. And then then when I was like, okay, I got a, a studio behind it, and we're gonna have guests. My biggest anxiety was okay, I'm, I'm gonna have to make phone calls. And this is going to really tell me where I stand with people, if they like me or not. Because if everybody blows me off and be like, okay, I got to change some things about myself. Listen, man. Uh, <laughs> yes, that, it, it, that is a big part of it. You know, I had a podcast for four years with Bree. And, you know, we asked every friend in the business or out of the business to come on. And pretty much everyone did. Uh, but, yeah, at some point you do start feeling like, oh, man, I hate I don't want to ask, but I really want this person on the show. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but you know what, Gary? You've earned a lot of goodwill in your career. I don't, I don't think you're going to have a problem getting people getting people on. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. And I was talking to, I think I was, I was talking to Ely about it. And we was like, he brought up you. He goes, with, with our thing like a man cast, we've seen everybody just like go through the full range of uh, grow it up. And he goes, look, look at Jerry. Jerry was single with no kids. And now you're married with a kid. And we felt like we were with you the whole journey. He's like, oh, yeah, that's her nephew. <laughs> so first off, so again, with, with this cast, I'll always reference the thing cast because it's just like it's just the greatest group you could ever be with for like a few months of a period where you're seeing everyone, you know, 60 hours a week. So I had just started dating you know, my wife now, Bree, we had, we were just starting to date when we were doing Think Like a Man 2. I remember sitting in between takes in a restaurant we were shooting at with Ely, telling him all about this girl I met that, I, that I'm really into, but it's complicated. And Ely, like, gives the best advice ever. He just broke it down to me, and he, he gave me some insight that I'm not necessarily going to share to this day, but I've told my wife what he said to me, and he was right, and I followed it. And, man, we've been married. We just celebrated our three-year anniversary. We got a 14-month-old son. But, yeah, Ely was, like, in it, in it with me. He was, like, my—he was the person I was, I was going to. He was my therapist. And that's what I love most about this business is, you know, the media wants to portray it as— it's just dysfunctional and selfish and greedy. And I go, oh, the moments I, I, I love the most is not what we're doing on screen. It's, it's those moments in between set, uh, scenes when we're just talking and BSing about life and everything. And, and sometimes you sit back and be like, like how lucky am I that it, I'm able to sit with, with, with Kevin Hart and Taraji and just BS about life, you know, and, and knowing that I don't have to share that with the world. Like, like that's something I like to hold on to. Like, I got, I got like an insight that most people would be like, pay money to get. I was like, how lucky am I? It really was lightning in a bottle. But similar, you're saying earlier, like we all had the feeling when we were shooting the first one that it was good. I remember when I went in for my wardrobe fitting on Think One. And I went to set where they were, they were like on day two of shooting and Ely and Taraji were shooting a scene. So I just went up to say a quick hello and Ely just came up to me and literally we said, what's up? And like, he just whispered to me, he's like, yo, this is a lot of fun. It's only day two, but we're having a lot of fun. You're going to enjoy this. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm like, okay. No one's really ever said that to me, like getting ready to start a shoot. Like everyone has like their own anxieties and stuff like that. Ely just pulled me and was like, this shit's a lot of fun. You're going to have fun. And I think we knew, we were all confident that the movie was going to do well, but what I don't think it's talked about enough with the first one was, <clears throat> I think that was one of the first 
early social media campaigns for a movie. I mean, it was going on already at that point, obviously. But everyone in that movie, and I don't know if that was like part of the strategy for Will Packer, but everyone going into the movie already had a pretty good social following. You know, it's 2011, think back to that. I just remember the social push being so hard, and I was trying to keep up because I was still new to social media at that point. So I was trying to keep up with it. But we thought that, all right, this movie's gonna make, you know, it's gonna open, if it opens at 15 million, like everyone, that's such a great opening. We're all gonna be so psyched. And then it opened at like 36. This was almost right out of an episode of Entourage, like my agents giving me the tracking updates. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it looks like it's gonna open at 18, great. No, it's gonna open at 22, oh my God. And then it climbs to like number one and opened at 30 something. And that, that was, <clears throat> it came out Easter weekend, I believe. That Easter Sunday, mm-hmm. my agent to celebrate in like true entourage fashion took me to a courtside Laker game. Lakers, Thunder, the game where Meta World Peace elbowed James Harden in the head and knocked him out. Kobe and Serge Ibaka dove into the stands into me and my agent and knocked us out of our chairs. It was like the most surreal weekend ever. Number one movie, courtside Laker game. I just could not believe this was happening. Huh. Yeah, my agent got me a gift card to a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like this. Hey, man. Oh, your agent took you courtside to a Laker game? Huh. I, I, I always clearly. think back though. I'm like always like, <laughs> I wonder who fell out that day. It's probably you. Probably like had three people canceled because it was Easter and they were having dinner with their families. And you were right. I was the single guy. I think like a man. One. I'm like, I ain't got shit to do. I'll go. Let's go. Yeah, Laker game. Right. Easter Sunday. Who cares? <laughs> I'm, I'm, let's go to the Laker game. I, my family's in New York. Let's go. Well, you know, with me, with all you guys, because I I knew Kevin already because we're both comedians. I've known Kevin for years. I didn't know Ely. I. I met Romney once or twice, same with Terrence. With you, I remember the first day on set, it was the night shoots, and we were shooting that, uh, the food truck scene with Taraji and Mike. Right. And how I built a rapport with you immediately was I knew you were a New York guy, I knew you were a diehard sports fan, so I just went up and go, hey, what do you think the Giants are gonna do this year? That was the first thing I said to you, and it was like an hour later, we were just talking. <laughs> Bengals, Giants, Bengals, Giants. And you were upset because the Giants, they, they just drafted uh, Nakamura. Nakamura, some DB. Yes. Naka, Prince Nakamura. Nakamura, Prince Nakamura, yeah. yeah. And I, I remember telling you, I go, hey, man, I think he got hurt. And you were like, what? <laughs> what? And you get on your phone, like, how'd you know that? I was like, I was trying to, to get to know you, so I figured that would be a good icebreaker. <laughs> It's weird, you know what? You really did always have uh, a lot of giant updates for someone who's not a giant fan. I didn't realize that. But yeah, it's like putting a quarter in the jukebox. Like, the minute you said giants, I go, you watch football? You're a oh, giant yeah. fan? What's going on? And yeah, that was, uh, I mean, how many Bengal giant bets have we had over the year? I think I lost them all, right? Have I ever, I don't think I've ever, the giants, I don't think I've, they the giants won. have ever won. Oh, they, they won one. Uh, they won three years ago when uh, Odell Beckham just juked the shit out of Pac-Man Jones. And the end zone, I was like, oh. So oh, but you- I, ha- okay. But I know I lost one and I was supposed to buy you a steak dinner or something. This is what we were doing, Think Like a Man 2. Mm-hmm. And then we went to a bar, you and I, we watched Knicks Pacers. Playoff the year game. the Knicks made it to the second round playoff game. And I think yeah. I bought us food at the bar. It was not a steak dinner full 
full disclosure. It was not steak. It was like wings and beer or whatever we were drinking. Yeah, we watched a Nick Pacer game at the bar because uh, the Bengals beat the Giants the prior year. My memory is ridiculous. You, it was cold that night in L.A., and uh, you was in your jacket. And I just remember you when I say, hey, you a Giants fan? And you kind of looked and go, yeah. And then when I start giving, like, Giants players the statistics, I think the jacket came off, Jerry. I think he was like, I what? <laughs> started sweating. Yeah, I started, You know about yeah. Mark Bavaro? What? <laughs> How he used to make the sign of the cross after every touchdown in the end zone? Yeah. I mean, me and you are, are the you? sports guy. I mean, yeah, everybody else likes sports, but when you talk about, like, breaking down statistics and are emotional about the draft picks and the coaching changes. I was like, Jerry was the guy you want to get him fired up, especially with the Knicks. Ugh. Oh, God, I mean, and that still I'm, goes to this day. <laughs> being such a sports fan, what do you think, who do you want the Knicks to hire as a coach? I go back and forth, right, because you start thinking of, obviously, the veteran guys, you know, Tom Thibodeau, Mike Brown. Like, of course, like, you want a veteran coach who's been around for a while, he's done it before, but... And we've kind of done that and it hasn't really worked. And then there's the thought of like, you know, Kenny Atkinson, who took like a very young Nets team and it really seemed like he developed those players. You know, I mean, they maybe were going to do it no matter what, but that seemed like a fit. I, I, I kind of want to go young. I want to go someone who's like young, hung, hungry, wants to build something from the ground up because that's where... The Knicks are right now. You know, they have a lot of young players. They're going to get a lot more. They're going to get a lot younger uh, through the draft. So I just think we need someone, a coach who is really good developmentally and and someone who gets, like, time, you know, gets a few years to build and not just, like, chew kind of New York fashion. You know, you have a bad year, you're out. Like, I just want someone who... Who could build? I like Mike Miller, the guy who filled in for uh, Fisdale, um, you know, because he comes out of the G League. He's a really good G League coach, so he knows how to develop young talent already. I I'm curious to see what happens, believe me. I'm very curious to see what happens. So me being a Bengals fan, every time I feel like I'm frustrated, I just, I'll see a Knicks game on and I'll think of you and I'll be like, okay, it's not that bad right now. <laughs> Such a dick, Gary, that hurt, man. But that now, hurt. here's the thing. You're a sports fan, you're a New York guy, and then you get married to Bree, and she's an Ohio girl, but she's a Cleveland girl. And I, rem I you, had, um, you had an IG post a few years ago, you was like, um, you had sideline passes to a Browns game. And I felt like you were shifted. <laughs> you were like, something's going on here. I don't know what's going on, so, something's going on here. <laughs> here's my theory on that, okay? And this is, a, a, this is something that a friend of mine, uh, Ben Lyons, came up with this term. It's one of my favorite terms. It's, it's called your team-in-law, right? I'm a Giants fan, always will be, but um, uh, now unless it was like the Dallas Cowboys or the Eagles, something in like direct contact, that would be a problem. The Browns and the Giants have zero rivalry. You know, now it's a little something because the Browns have Odell, but yeah. uh, they're in different conferences. And, like, how do you hate on the Browns and the Browns fans? Like, I, like if you're a sports fan and like underdog stories, stuff like that, like, how do you, like, I just felt like the Browns colors, I was wearing, like, that day we had sideline passes, I was wearing a Browns hat and a Browns sweatshirt. I got a lot of shit for that. People saying, like, I was a traitor, I was a Giants fan. It's like, listen, I hear you. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I, I think I'm, as far as sports go, I think I'm wise enough to know when I'm in like civilian waters and this is not a threat, <laughs> yeah. okay? Nothing about this day with my family and my in-laws was a threat to my Giants fandom. So I'm putting the hat on, I'm rooting for the Browns today. They're playing the Raiders, two teams that have nothing to do with my team. It was, it was easy. People still kill me for that and say you should have never put a Browns hat on. Jerry, you know what you say that? Sometimes you just got to cut all the sugar coating out and just go, she's a Browns fan. She sucks my dick. Oh, Boom. <laughs> There's no guy out there that's going to be like, okay, well, I see that. Okay, well, yeah, okay. Listen, we'll let that, that slide. Civi- that, that was civilian waters. I don't think, like, again, if I was at, like, Cowboys Stadium with a Cowboys hat on, yes, I should be kicked out of the giant fandom for sure. <laughs> you know, a little different for you, like if, uh, you know, Bengal fan from Cincinnati, like if you went to a Browns game and wore a Browns hat, that's a massive, that would never happen. You would yeah, never I can't do, do that. It. I can't. You can't. You know what? The Browns, the Browns Stadium, the Browns game is the only place where a guy, a guy really tried to start like a real fight with me. And it really? was... Yeah, we was it was the Bengals and Browns. Like Carson Palmer was there, so it was that era. And we're leaving the game, and you know it's crowded when you leave a game. And yeah. this guy just goes comes right up next to me. He's like, "Hey man, you hit on my wife?" And I think I let let his wife ahead of me and said, "Go ahead," or I might have put my hand on her back just to you know it was getting crowded. And I was, I looked at him. I looked at his wife and I was like, you're giving yourself way too much credit right now. (laughs) (laughs) And And the answer is no. The quick answer is no, I'm not hitting on your wife. I just remember thinking, um, I just kind of faded away because he was so like backwoods. I don't think he realized it was a put down. I think he was processing what I said. (laughs) He was like, wait a minute, what'd he say? And I just kind of faded back. (laughs) Pretty soon I was gone. But that's the only time a guy literally just got up in my face. Hey man, you hitting on my wife right now? I was like, are you hitting on my wife? I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. <laughs> I'm looking at him, I'm looking at his wife. Come on now. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever come close to like, I've gotten to like some trolling arguments with people at games, but the old days, like the 90s, like Yankees, Red Sox games, and I've gone to Fenway a few times. There's a few times where I'm like, if we don't shut the fuck up, we're gonna be in a lot of trouble here. Oh. <laughs> okay, just let's just get let's just get out of Fenway and go back to New York. But never since since then, no, it's been uh, you know, hasn't been a problem. Is there a line or or is there a, a borough where people decide they're gonna be Jets fans or Giants fans or Yankee fans or Mets fans? Like typically with Yankees and Mets, um, you know, the Bronx obviously shades Yankee fan, Queens obviously shades Met fans, and then like Brooklyn was always the wild card because you know, the Brooklyn, if you trace it all the way back, you know, the Dodgers were in Brooklyn. So, and I always think about that. Like, what would you do if your favorite team when you were a kid left like the Brooklyn Dodgers left and went to Los Angeles like do you then go root for the Yankees after that the Mets or do you say like for me I would probably have become an LA Dodger fan because once I fall in love with the team I become loyal to the team more so than like the city in a way but so Brooklyn was always like right down the middle I grew up with a lot of Yankee fans and a lot of Met fans in Brooklyn but Bronx and Queens are pretty territorial uh, as far as Giants, Jets, I, I, there's nothing that really separates uh, geographically, you know. It was a lot of teams that, you know, because the Jets were an expansion team in the 60s, so a lot of teams just were maybe fed up with the Giants and went Jets, but there's nothing that really separates them. And then as far as basketball, I mean, 
I have some friends who became a Brooklyn Nets fan because they moved into Brooklyn. I just don't get that. How could you root for the Knicks all these years? And then, yeah, the Knicks are on, been on some hard times for a while. I get it. But now, like, just because the Nets come from Jersey to Brooklyn, you're like, all right, we're Brooklyn. I just don't get it. It could never happen to me. You were a teenager. Let me see. You're a teenager when they did that. I, I didn't realize this the other day. I was watching that. It was like June 17th was so much happened in sports that day with the OJ and the Knicks in game six. Or that was game five. I think it was game was, two. Was it game two? Finals. I think it was game two because it was in New York. I'm pretty sure it was, yeah. They won. I know the Knicks won that game. I was in the Navy and I had ACL surgery. And uh, I was coming out of anesthesia and I was such a Patrick Ewing guy. That was my dude. From Georgetown to the Knicks, I was, wherever Ewing went, I was going. So I, I, was, I was a Knicks fan like you, Jerry, for, for about 10, 11 years when Ewing was there. <laughs> I remember when they broke in the game. Yeah, they switched screens. Like, they put the Knicks, like, in the small box in the corner and were on the OJ chase, like, on the big screen during the finals. I never understood that. I was like, I just remember I was in a Navy hospital, ACL surgery. I'm 19, 20 years old, and I was just like, okay, they got to go back to the Knicks game. I'm like, I'm like, Passing out, then waking up and passing out. And I, and then it just, I, it seemed like I was like, dude, how long is this car chase going to last? I thought it was me. I thought I was just drugged up. I thought I was dreaming it. No, it was, it, yeah, I, I, I remember where I was watching that game. Uh, I was at my friend Rob's house and there was a part of us that was like, you know, we're Knicks fans. We're like, go back to the Knicks game. But then there was this other part of you that is like, what the hell is going on? With OJ right now, uh, yeah, man, that was that was craziness. Have you ever run into OJ? In Never. Your life? No, no, yeah. no. Um, no. He came to a because show of mine one time. Really? <laughs> yeah. And they were where at? I was at the Miami Improv. It was probably uh, 2000, 2001. I will say, I you know you you don't know how to. How do you approach OJ when he approaches you? Because he wanted to meet me backstage after the show. Uh-huh. And I was like, I, d- I didn't know what to do. I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. <laughs> I, I don't know either. That so, is, I have no advice for you. <laughs> so I said, I'll just, I'll come out to the bar. Tell him I'm going to come out to the bar. So I come out to the bar and he's sitting there and you always hear how charming he is. And I went in there like, I, I don't like this guy. I should not like him. And... Two minutes, he sucked me in. He got you? I, I was oh, like, because I watched that thing on ESPN about, you know, OJ, and I was like, oh, my God. He just, oh, he just OJ'd me. Because he yeah, literally you, went, where are you from, man? And I was like, Cincinnati. He goes, oh, man, I remember. He broke down like the four times he played the Bengals in Cincinnati when he was in Buffalo. Oh, you're and done. He, he killed you. He got oh, you right there. Right, he sucked me right in. Like, yo, man, it was, it was cold as shit. And you want a drink? I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Just I was like this. Wait, can we talk about your wife? Oh, man. <laughs> can we bring that up? But let me, let me tell you what OJ did at the show. This is classic, Jerry. So he showed up with a guy and, and two white women, right? The host goes, hey, OJ, um, do you mind if I announce you're in the room? And he was like, yeah, but give me a heads up. Let me know when you're going to do it. And so there was like a joke or something, some word the host is going to say before he said, O.J. Simpson is here. And the guy did it. He says, yeah, we got a special guest in the house tonight. We got O.J. Simpson. When he said that, O.J. had moved between the two white women and was now sitting between two black women. 
And I was like, oh, this motherfucker's smooth. Are you serious? He didn't want the crowd to see him between two white women because, you know, it was almost all black people in the crowd. So obviously everybody turned and there's OJ, like, he, like, waved. <laughs> this is like, in Miami, you said? In Miami. And he moved and was now between two black women. And then when, the, when I got on stage, I looked back, he moved back to his normal seat. With the white girls that he came with. I now, let me ask too. you a question. If you had an OJ joke in your set, would you have pulled it or would you have done it knowing he was in the crowd? I'm not. I wouldn't have did it. I wouldn't. I, I, the, 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 the gangster would have been like this. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. I'll tell anything <laughs> I want, Jerry. I don't give a you shit. You wouldn't have done it. No. Nope. But now, like, being honest with you, nah. I would have let that slide. <laughs> Understood. Understood. <laughs> but, yeah, he straight OJ'd me. I was like... Did this dude just suck me in? Like, <laughs> it was the one moment where I was like, I'm not even gonna ask for a picture. I don't know if you, and this was before social media. I was like, I don't know what people are gonna think if I just Keep got a picture moving. of OJ. Keep it moving. Right? Now, I forgot to ask you, how'd you meet your wife? So I met my wife through uh, a mutual friend at a birthday party, but ironically enough, she uh, had done an episode of Entourage uh, prior to that night we met, but we didn't. We didn't meet on set, you know, all her stuff, her stuff was not with my character. We didn't work any intersecting days. I do remember like seeing the episode back. I used to go watch some of the episodes early with Doug because I was not good at like watching them on TV with people and stuff like that. So I just go check on like some of the episodes. And I remember like seeing her episode in my mind. I remember saying like, wow, that girl's beautiful. Like she's, yeah, this very, very beautiful woman right there. And then met her at the party like about a year later, hung out, talked a little bit, but nothing nothing really happened. We just had like a fun night and talked, but well, I don't even think we exchanged numbers at that point. I ran into her again, and it's one of those, I just kept running into this person. It's like, I don't even know if that happens to other people, but we just kept running in. Our paths just went from like not intersecting at all to like now they're just intersecting regularly. I don't know if we were subconsciously trying to make it happen, but uh, yeah, man, kind of once we went on our first date, honestly, I swear to you, like never went on another date with anybody again. I believe that she hasn't either. And uh, that was about seven years ago. It has just been the two of us since that since that moment. And then since I got some really, as I mentioned earlier, some sound advice from Michael Ely in Vegas, um, we've been off to the races. And now will your son, will he be a Browns or Giants fan? Oh, that's such a good question, Gary. Uh, Look, I, I selfishly, obviously, I I want the Giants. Like, I want him to like all the teams I like, but that's selfish. The non-negotiable ones are, for me, are the Knicks are non-negotiable. Like, you will not be a Cavs fan or a Lakers fan. Like, the Knicks are non-negotiable. We're going to suffer through that together as father and son. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm a little torn. Like, I think I, it would be fine if it's either the Indians uh, or the Browns. If there, if if those are, if he likes baseball and football, and he is favoring one of those teams, I think I'll allow one. I think one will be fine. But you know, and again, the Browns are non-threatening to the Giants, and I watch all football games. But yeah, like the Knicks are non-negotiable. Like, sorry, son, we are in this shit together. Like Jerry, you're, it's going to be when the Knicks win their championship in like 20 years yeah. and you're going to be on social media like, now my old ass dad could die happy because the Knicks won a championship. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry, I just asked you, so is it Browns or Giants? 
You did not give me an answer at all. You I went did. to Nick. I sidestepped. <laughs> I sidestepped. Uh, I'm listening going, oh, he, he don't even know. He, oh, he bullshit me right now. <laughs> he's right, OJ me. You just OJ me, Jerry. I juiced you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pres- I'm all for, um, obviously, you know, there's some decisions that you can't let little kids make on their own. You got to help. But I'm going to present both teams. Should he like football? It's not a requirement. I would appreciate it. I'm going to present both products. I'm going to watch Giants games with him. And I will watch and Bree will watch. We'll watch Browns games with him. And he will decide himself. How's that? Okay. So Bree's like diehard. Like she, yeah. she's, she's in it. Yes. Yes. Like when, when the Cavs won the title and LeBron got that championship and when he said, Cleveland, this is for you, Bree was just, <laughs> she's like in the corner crying. She's like, you have no idea she's what crying? this means. <laughs> crying. I videoed. She's literally saying like, you have no idea what this means to the city of Cleveland. If the Browns won a Super Bowl, I honestly don't know what would happen. I don't know what would happen. Listen, Jerry, I've said this numerous times. If the Bengals ever won the Super Bowl, I told my wife, have bail money ready. I'm probably going to be arrested. I go, and there might be new pitches of me. I was going to say, I see you like streaking in like full oh Bengals body paint, just like hugging people. I just, yes, I, Jerry, I'll, I, I'll support the, I, the bail fund money too. I might do Amber Rose. I might have Cincinnati Bengals <laughs> tattoo right here on my forehead if it ever happens. Oh my God. I don't think about it. So I understand uh, Bree's passion. The Cavaliers though, I was like, because Cleveland, I don't care. I don't care if the Cavs became, um, became like the Warriors. Uh, that's a football town. That is a for football sure. town. I mean, it's great the Cavs won a title and it's great for the city. But in the end, Indians, Cavaliers, they always take a step back from the Browns. That is a football I, city. I completely agree. Getting to know a lot of her friends and family there in the last seven years, like, that's one of the things I, like... I love most about that city is that like it's such a sports town but when you think about how long the city's gone without a championship in general and I in any sport the fact that you know I think they were at a place where like we will take any title we could get you know oh, but yeah. yeah like I said like if the brown if the browns won a super bowl that I always say this with the Knicks too. This was my pitch to Kevin Durant. I didn't make this pitch to him perfectly. I did this episode of my podcast before he signed with the Warriors the first time. Uh, my pitch was, if you win a title in New York for the Knicks, that's worth three anywhere else. It's just a fact. Oh, without question. Without And I feel question. the same way about the Browns. Like if the Browns win a Super Bowl, that is the equivalent of like three Super Bowls in almost any, there's a few other cities that it would be the same way with football. But if the Cleveland Browns won the Super Bowl, that's the equivalent of three. That's how how much value it would have. With me being a stand-up, too, you know, you grow up in Cincinnati, you grow up, we don't like Pittsburgh, we don't like Cleveland, and now we don't like Baltimore. Those are three of the best comedy cities in the country. Like, people come <laughs> out, sucks. they buy tickets. And I'm sitting here going, God, I love these cities now because they're great comedy towns, but I'm not supposed to. Pittsburgh, more than anything, that, you know, that's, and Bree can attest to this, they just treat yeah. Cincinnati and Cleveland like we're their, their stepkids and they just abuse yeah. us. I, I read They that, got those shiny rings, man. They got shiny rings. Your wife know, probably knows stats about Cleveland. Did you know Ben Roethlisberger is like the all-time winningest quarterback in that stadium? 
Yes, yes. <laughs> that is the, the most ironic stat I've ever heard in my life. Yes, he's the, like the all-time winningest quarterback in that stadium. He has more think, wins than any other quarterback to ever live, I think, in that stadium. Who's the new quarterback now? I just Baker Mayfield. Baker Jeez. Mayfield, yes. A I lot think of he kids might... being named Baker nowadays in Cleveland. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think he might have passed them. I think he might have passed Ben. Because he's been there for two years. I think he's got more home wins, or he's close. I will look not. that up when we're done, and I will send you a text, because now I now yeah. you got me curious. Yeah. Now, are you a UFC fan? Uh, sure. I am. Um, I'm, I would probably say I'm a little bit bigger of a boxing fan, but I've always watched UFC respect. I wouldn't say I'm, like, hardcore, like, as a, like a rabid U- UFC fan. But, yes, I, I mean, I've been to many events. I've, I've ordered pay-per-views. I just enjoy you know, combat sports as someone who respects it and does not participate and does not, you know, a lot of people watch UFC and boxing like they still in their minds think that like they could, if they train, they could participate. We talked about it early with Ronda. I've always known I cannot. So I watch it with from afar with a great deal of respect. Well, I think us being such sports fans, the reason I brought that up is just, man, I am so, I get so fired up now that we, we can watch a boxing starting to do it and UFC's been doing it. Just, we got something to watch, live sports. I mean, just thank God for Dana White and the UFC. Because I'm watching every prelim, everything now. One, we don't have a lot to do. And two, I'm just happy we got sports again. Yeah, you know, at first when I heard that they were coming back, I, I, I without crowds, I'm like, how is that? gonna work like so much of like to me the ufc is like those those the energy from the crowd is so tangible but in a weird way then when you watch the fights and you you really hear the impact of the blows and you really hear you know the coaches shouting stuff it's almost like a more intense experience without the crowd watching at home i'm sure the fighters would prefer the energy of the crowd maybe i don't know i'd I'd love to to find out but yeah it's 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 great to have something to watch and obviously you're hoping everybody stays healthy it seems to be going that way right i mean i don't, I don't think i've heard anything awful no uh, there's a huge but, fight this weekend huge yes. jorge Where is that? that's in uh yeah, abu, yeah, dhabi. yeah. abu dhabi right I, I saw Island. that i saw that he tell he all his tests came back good, and he got on the plane. I think I saw on Twitter right before we fired this up. I can't wait. Did you? Did, I mean, I don't know how big a UFC fan on. Did, did you? Do you remember last year when um, Jorge Masvidal just knocked out that Ben Askren in like two seconds? Was that the knee? That was like, the fly just knee. came. Yeah, he came running out like he was going to throw hands, and he just hit him with a fly. I mean, that yeah. was. You know what my mind thought about the whole time too? Man, what an easy day work. Yeah. Like, that's the easiest payday that oh. dude's ever going to oh, make. Jerry, Jerry, I go the opposite direction. I go straight into Ben Askren, like, ah, oh, fuck, that's got to suck to be him. <laughs> like, yeah, like, no, oh. it's true, it's true. And, and I'm sure he put in a ton of work for that fight, so I can't say it was all easy. But, man, like, just knowing that every time you get in a ring or, you know, or the cage, like, you probably, as a fighter, maybe lose a little bit of yourself each time just getting hit. And just to go through a fight like that where literally you put in, for the actual fight itself, not the minimal effort, but you, you only have to perform one violent act to win the fight. And like, that's like one that like, like it counts as a win on his record, but his body did not really feel the effects. It was, exact, it was, all, it was a year ago. It was almost like a year ago that that happened. And that, that guy's retired now, Ben Askren. He, was, he wasn't the same after that. No, I don't know if you can be. I mean, no. I, I don't know. I, 
I, even anyone who's been like knocked out in football when they were a kid, or like I had a friend get knocked out from getting hit with like a hard ball in baseball in little league. Like, I don't know if you, I don't think you're ever the same when you get knocked out. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you are, but. We always said that about you. I don't know if you knew that. I think we were talking about it on set with Think Like a Man. We said, if you was going to get in a fight out of, out of the cast, who do you want with you? Just just making a phone call. They're not going to ask what's going on. They're just going to show up. Everybody was like, Jerry. Really? First of all, no one ever asked me this question. Well, that's because we were asked, talking amongst each other. We was like, Jerry. Jerry seems like the type that would just show up. Like, yeah, what's, where's he at? What's going on? <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, also, too, it's like, I, I mean, and that was 10 years ago. Maybe I would feel a little differently now at 40 than I would at 30 with a kid. But, uh, yeah, I would have showed up. For sure. I mean, <laughs> me, I think I would have. said it. Yeah, I'd probably show up. Yeah. Yeah, I would have showed up. I mean, I think I would pick, I would pick Romney. Romney has to know some type of martial art, right? He'd do a pressure point. He'd probably hit something right here and you go down like a Bruce Lee. <laughs> like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> I, I think I would pick Romney just because, like, he's got to know something. Like, there's definitely something he knows. No, but then he would get the two guys that were fighting and have them discuss why they were fighting. Why did you feel that way? What? Or he would what? just settle it with, a dis- <laughs> with like, a lengthy, uh, in- like, insightful conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Now, okay, I ask this of all my guests when they're on, when they're on, that are in the entertainment business. Has there ever been a time in an audition or on set, more on set, it all happens at everybody audition, did you, that you just went blank? You were like, oh shit, uh, what just happened? I don't know my lines. <laughs> um, I honestly can't, like, it's definitely happened in auditions for sure. Uh, several times and um the fear that washes over your face is like a i don't know what the fuck i'm about to say uh on set um i can't say it's happened where i went blank but there's just been a few times where like some some scenes some pieces of dialogue just for me my brain cannot compute it's almost like trying to download like an app that like no we're ios only i can't download that app. like there's some di- piece, bits of dialogue i just could not retain i had a whole lot of trouble with uh you know playing a lawyer on power and courtney kent writes legal stuff really well and also has you know real professionals there making sure that all the language is correct my first day on, it wasn't my first day on set with Power, my first big courtroom scene where I was uh, trying to get Tommy, Joe Shakura's character off. I mean, I had a chunk of dialogue where it's like prosecutorial malfeasance and all the like words I don't know. I am not college yeah. educated. And Leela, who played Angela, came over to me because she, she was in the scene as well as the, as the prosecutor and just said, listen, you're doing really well, but just know Whenever you get these scenes, like you have to know this shit so well to perform it. Like just you have to study it three times as hard as like any other normal scene you would study. And ever since then, I took it extremely seriously. But in the beginning, those scenes are kicking my ass. I'm glad you said that. I asked that of everybody. That's my biggest fear is to be on set and just drop it and be like, oh, shit. Which like it's happened in auditions. Auditions are the... That's the worst. <laughs> you feel like you're, they're looking at you going, okay, thanks. <laughs> just yeah, there's, you there's been times where I've like excused myself and been like, I'm just going to go. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, 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 I'm tapping out. I'm just going to go. I'm not getting this. I don't know the dialogue. I'm out. I'm going to go. 
Yeah, I apologized one audition for a pilot. <laughs> I literally just went, I'm sorry I wasted your time. So sorry. <laughs> and it seemed like they were excited when I walked in the room. Hey, hey. I was like, okay, it could be faking it. I don't know. <laughs> and I just remember I was just not having it. It just wasn't happening. I was just like, hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm really sorry about this. <laughs> I like yeah. wave goodbye. Nice meeting you guys. I'll never see you again. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with this project. That's always my famous, yeah. <laughs> my famous saying when I know I did terribly at the end of the, when it's like, thanks for, thanks for seeing me guys. Uh, Good luck with this. That's me saying like, <laughs> I know I just sucked. Uh, and I don't really wish you luck actually, <laughs> but I kind of do. <laughs> Who's one guy, actor or director or both that you haven't worked with yet that you would be your dream like you want to work with so many uh i was fortunate enough to carve out a big chunk of this list in one movie um i was cast in like a small but really cool supporting part a movie that romany malco and michael ely randomly enough were also in yeah called las vegas which uh essentially is like a senior citizens hangover type comedy and uh yeah, it was De Niro, it was Morgan Freeman, it was Kevin Klein, Michael Douglas, so that was incredible. Um, I can tell you the guy I always wish I worked with, and unfortunately he's no longer with us, but my favorite actor of all time, and I don't really think it's close at this point for me, is James Gandolfini. He, to uh, me, yeah. was... I can see that, being Italian. Yeah, You're Italian. just like, just, I don't know, that guy made it look so easy, and it never looked like he was acting, and... I don't know. He just like sucked you in. So that was someone I would have said. Uh, but man, there's there's so many. Honestly, um, I'm still the whole reason why I got into acting and this business in general is because I was just as a kid the biggest fan of television and movies. And to this day, I still I still am. So there's a lot of people I'm a fan of. I'm a little reluctant to say because if I ever do get to work with them, Gary's going to be over here like, oh, he's freaking out on set with that person. No. He always listen, wanted to work with them. Jerry, I said my goal of this podcast is in five years to have people going, you got to go on Gary's podcast. Whoever you say, that shit happens. So everybody's given different people. And it's, it's, to me, it's interesting the people that they're choosing. You know, like, like Joseph Sikora said, Michael Shannon. I would have never guessed that. I was like, Michael Shannon? <laughs> uh, you know yeah. what? You know, you know. I, I'll give you someone who, and he worked with Gandolfini, and he's actually in a Spike Lee, uh, Spike Lee movie right now. Uh, an actor I have always just worshipped. I think this dude is unbelievable. Delroy Lindo. Oh, Delroy yeah. Lindo is pound for pound. I mean, that dude is never turned in like an amp performer. He just always steals everything. I watch yeah. everything he's in. I would be quietly, like, throughout that whole Las Vegas movie, my goal was, like, don't get fired and, like, don't just nerd out with these guys. Like, just play it cool. So I kind of just sat in the corner and didn't say much, not because I was being a dick. I was obviously very intimidated, but it's almost like they know that. They've been doing this so long. Like, they kind of brought me in a little bit and broke the ice so I don't feel like, oh, my God, there's Michael Douglas, there's Morgan Freeman. Of course... I know we keep talking about him, but in true Romney fashion, like I'm over here trying to play cool, not nerd out. And like Romney's like boys with all of them. Like they have inside jokes. Yeah. They yeah. got all sorts of things. <laughs> I'm like on the outside trying to play cool. And Romney's like ingratiated himself to everybody. But uh, I put Delroy Lindo. Uh, 
I think Jennifer Lawrence is awesome. I'd love to work with Jennifer Lawrence. Um, well, that's enough. That's enough, Jerry. Is that enough? <laughs> did you um, now when you when you get on that? Jerry Washington, you... always Carrie Washington for me is just like. Oh, I got to work with one her. Of the best actor. You did. She's Lit- me. I mean, she's one Little of the best Man. actors out there. Yeah, I got to work mm-hmm. with that little man. Yep, she was cool. She, she was cool. She's she's funny because she said in the same year she got, she was in an Oscar nominated film, The King of Scotland. Yeah. And she was in. She got an Izzy or Razzie or whatever they call it for the worst film. Uh, for was, what? Was Little Man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> yeah, the Wayans always nah. get a the Wayans always get a bad rap. If they do any kind of cheesy, goofy movie, they always get the. But I go that that was the goal of the movie. The movie was supposed to be like goofy, funny, cheesy. That was the goal of it. Nah, those dudes are always taking chances. Yeah, I know. I was like this. They always, they always get like, I don't know. They always get like, um, I don't know, beat up in the press a little bit. So are you going to go with Delroy Lindo? I'm going to go Delroy Lindo, Kerry Washington, Jennifer Lawrence, James Gandolfini po- posthumously. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, but honestly, if I really sat down and think about it, they're just... just there's just so man. I mean, it really. Michael Shannon's a great pull by Joe. Michael Shannon's right. It was, it was Mark it Ruffalo's was, always been my dude. Love Mark Ruffalo from a movie you can count on me. And then there's just like legends, of course, you that have been doing it. Like there's just legends that you have respected and watched. You grew up with them. You watched their work. Like of course, like I, I named a few of them. But there's, I mean, I could. It's kind of obvious, but I could name. Entourage definitely got a few out there that. Also, it was like cool cameos that I got to see and work with people that, you know, checked off a lot of the boxes for me. When you're working with De Niro, did you did you break the ice or did he break the ice? Uh, he sort of broke the ice, uh, you know, because in the movie too, he kind of ha- he he punches me and like knocks me out, yeah. uh, which is also great for me. Uh, <laughs> and um, he's he was he was really you know quiet and like professional and like worked hard and like but like in like even like in one scene like where he knocks me out and i'm like taking this fall and then like we're about to like shoot and the director's about to call action he's like no no no, wait 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 jerry tie your shoes before yeah i'm like oh shit totally tie my shoes, but <laughs> lacing them up tight i'm like all right shoes tight. all right all right then i come charging out and he drops me uh at the end of like my second day just like they call rap and like, like go work today and like he like gave me a hug and then one day in the elevator we were going up to our rooms and he's like so you from uh you're a Brooklyn guy right and then we started talking about Brooklyn a little bit and uh, just a nice guy it was just a great experience. Have you ever have you ever worked with Chaz Palminteri? I have not, but uh, I've I've met him a bunch of times. I actually got to meet him. Uh, I went to the Broadway show Bronx Tale uh, and um, he was still at the show that play's been running forever I got to meet him afterward and uh, he knows my buddy Dom Lombardozzi who you should also have on your podcast my man uh, really good one of like great actor one of my dear friends uh, but yeah I met Chaz Chaz is awesome he had a great De Niro story we were shooting Little Man and I, I gotta get the Cliss Notes version but you know he went through the ringer to get that to to m- m- turn a Bronx Tale from a play to a movie and for him to be a part of it. Like he had, yeah. he was like, no, I need to write it and I need to play Sonny, you know? And people were yeah. just like, no, no, no. And he was getting in the millions. He was walking away from millions of dollars to make that. And then De Niro came and saw the play and he goes, it was on a handshake. Like De Niro goes, 
I'm going to make this movie. I'm going to, I want you to, and he goes, well, I got to tell you, I got to, I got to write it and I got to be in it. And De Niro goes, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's your film. Ugh. And just like, that. boom. But here's what's it's funny. Incredible. We're driving around uh, Vancouver shooting Little Man. I'm in the van with Chaz. And he literally looks around and goes, there's not a lot of black broads in Vancouver, is there? And I went, holy shit, you were the kid. You're the kid of the Bronx Tale. You wrote that about you. And he goes. Coldero. He's Coldero. Yeah. He goes, I hang out with Bob, of course. <laughs> I was like, he was kidding, but I was just like, I hang out with Bob. And I was thinking, who's Bob? <laughs> he was like, De Niro. I go, Bobby oh. Bobby D. Uh, Robert fault. De Niro. Yeah. My fault. I'm not in like that. I call him Robert De Niro. <laughs> but yeah, he gave, he gave a great long, I'd have to tell you off the air, but it was just, he had me and two of the weigh-ins. I don't know if it was Keenan or Marlon or Keenan and Sean, one of the two. He had us just enthralled for 45 minutes in the makeup trailer telling us how a Bronx Tale came to be. I mean, just mouths open, like. He's a great storyteller. I mean, it was a one, it wasn't a play. It was a one-man show. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, one-man show. No, no, I'm just saying, like, that, like, I don't know. Like, even the thought of doing a one-man show, like, how? How do you even do that? I wouldn't even know what it is. So I'm lucky I could play one part. And it turned that into such a great movie. Oh, my God. Yeah, and, and the, 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 you know, the play's been running, jeez, I don't know how many years at this point. Yeah, I mean, he just broke, he just went in about, you know, he was living in a, a rundown apartment with his wife and his daughter, and they were struggling, and... He's getting offered millions of dollars from different studios, but they, they just want to pay him and then be gone. And he's like, no, I got to be a part of this, you know? Yeah. And was walking away. I think uh, Stallone's story with Rocky is very similar. You know, I think uh, he could have sold that script for a lot of money. And they he was the last person, I think, on their minds to cast as Rocky Balboa. But he he just stuck to it and stuck to it. And eventually, I, and, and the rest is history. Well, that lets you know there's levels of this, Jerry, because we were talking about getting a pilot and a movie offer at the same time. <laughs> and these guys are talking about walking away from millions of dollars <laughs> and iconic roles. We're like this. I don't know. Do I want to do this CBS pilot where I'm the fourth lead? <laughs> hey, how'd you know? <laughs> or do I want to do the movie Little? Ah, <laughs> this is tough. <laughs> Anyways, listen, man, I don't want to keep you all day. I know you're a busy guy. I got to get back to your, your, your son and your Browns fan, <laughs> wife, Bree. But, uh, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for all your success. Um, thanks for taking time out to come on the podcast. And uh, I'll probably see you in Ohio since it seems like you're moving in that direction. <laughs> I'll see you in Ohio. I'll see you on the West Coast, uh, hopefully. And, um Listen, man, keep doing your thing. I think a lot of people are going to be coming on this podcast. And um, it was nice to revisit the whole Think Like a Man part of history because that's a very, very special place in my heart. So, uh, yeah, we got to get a I know we talk about We all got to, whenever we're all allowed to conjugate again, we all got to go and break, break bread and have a drink and just, and just laugh and reminisce a little bit. Yeah, for sure, man. All right, man. Well, right. Jerry, man, I love you, man. You take care and uh, I'll see you when I see you. <laughs> All right, Gary. Take care, All right, brother. Appreciate it.